Jesus, thank you so much for this man of God who opens up uh, your word um, on a daily basis and becomes transformed uh, in the quiet moments of, of his day. And so what we hear out loud is, is no different from a regular rhythm where he is submitting to your word and he's submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for him. Uh, we do pray that as he preaches, as he brings the word to us, that Jesus, that we will be convicted where we need to be con- convicted. And then also that we will be comforted, comforted where we need to be comforted. And so we ask this uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Spencer. Last week, um, I forgot to hit my timer, and about 15 minutes in, I looked down and it said zero, so I'm going to uh, remember to hit my timer, and it'll be good this time. Um, so I want to tell you guys, I didn't just bring these out here because I wanted to um, interrupt Spencer. I want to talk about dishes today. So last, last week, we talked about hamburgers, and this week, we're going to talk about dishes because I love food. Food is delicious, right? So dishes are a good thing for our lives, Right? Everyone agree that dishes are good? Um, You know, if I didn't have this, where would I cook my eggs and bacon? I'd probably have to, like, throw it on a rock. Or if I didn't have a bowl, I know this is a very large cereal bowl, but I couldn't eat cereal if I didn't have a bowl. So it's, it's very important to us that we have dishes. I like dishes. But there is a problem with dishes. Dishes get dirty. And what happens whenever dishes get dirty? You have to wash them. You have to clean dishes. And sometimes we don't like washing them, right? Sometimes we put them in the sink, and then we have our next meal, and then we put more dishes in the sink, and then we have our next meal, we put more in this, and it stacks up and stacks up. But eventually, no matter how much you put it off, you have to wash the dishes at some point, right? Now, me and Abby, after two years of marriage in an apartment where there wasn't a dishwasher and it was only hand washing um, and many, many struggles with who is going to actually wash the dishes, putting it off until the other person would actually wash the dishes, we bought a house and our house has a dishwasher. And now that's not like a person that washes dishes. That's actually a machine. This machine, you put dishes in it, and this thing spins around, and it shoots water at the, at the dishes, and then when you open it, they're clean. It's amazing. But here's the problem. There's still dirty dishes, right? If, in case you don't know this, there's some dishes you are not actually supposed to put into the dishwasher. And I don't understand why. I wish I could just put all my cast iron skillets and all everything into the dishwasher, but they say that you're not supposed to, so I don't. Uh, there's, there's always going to be dishes to wash, and we are always going to have to be washing them, right? So we're going to come back to that. Um, I think that dishes and dirty dishes have to, something to teach us about worship. Um, And so we're going to kind of move on from that, but come back to it repeatedly in the message. So we have been in a series on the book of Mark, and we've titled this series, Reset Your Mind. And it's kind of based out of Mark 8 that we keep on coming back to where Jesus tells Peter, you're setting your mind not on things of God, but on things of man. And throughout this series, we've been kind of comparing and contrasting the, the idea of the things of God 
and the things of man. So last week, uh, we had a really, really strong comparison to make. We talked about the table of Herod, and then we talked about the table of Jesus, right? So this, this was a really stark contrast where you had just this table of immorality and um, the worst of secularism, and then you had Jesus, the compassionate king who satisfies abundantly. So it was this really strong comparing and contrasting. Well, this week we're in Mark chapter 7, and there's another comparing and contrasting that's going on, um, but this time it's a little bit less obvious. Last week you had just a blatant disregard for morality. This week you have a group of people that really seems to have it all together. Um, they're religious leaders who look like they're squeaky clean. They have done all sorts of things throughout their lives trying to look as little like Herod and the people that were surrounding his table as possible. Um, but what I want you guys to realize is that even in our efforts to look morally and um, religiously meet some moral or religious standard, it can be just as dangerous as the table of Herod. And the, the danger that I want us to be aware of today is what I'm going to be calling wasted worship. Wasted worship. I'm the worship director here at Redstone Church, in case you didn't know. If you haven't been here the last month, you probably haven't seen me up here. Um, but what I really, really fear in our church is that we would come every single Sunday and we would waste our worship. There's a lot of churches in the world right now that are just packed full of people, but they are wasting their worship. And I don't want that to be Redstone Church. So the main point here that I'm going to make, and this is, I'm, I'm going to say this a few times for you, my main point is if your heart is drawing near to God, every action you take will be worship. But if you rely on your actions to draw you near to God, your heart will waste its worship. Let me say that again for you. If your heart is drawing near to God, every action you take will be worship. But if you rely on your actions to draw you near to God, your heart will waste its worship. Let me say it one other way. The, the worship that God wants from you does not start with actions that you perform. It starts with a heart that is transformed. So we're in Mark 7 today, and I want to read our passage, um, beginning in Mark 7, verse 1. It's in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible, uh, you can follow along. Verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean." And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Okay, so... um, what we are comparing and contrasting, we talk about the things of God and the things of man. In this passage, we're going to look at the worship of the Pharisees, and then we're going to look at the worship that pleases God. We're going to walk through those things in the passage and, um, and see how the worship that pleases God starts not uh, with actions that we perform, but with a heart that is transformed. So first, I want to show you three things about the, uh, the worship of the Pharisees that teach us about worship. First, the worship of the Pharisees is based on the traditions of men. Okay, the worship of the Pharisees is based on the traditions of men. So you get the scene here, the disciples sit down to eat, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are looking on. They're probably trying to figure out some way that they can discredit Jesus and his followers. And they see something horrifying. I mean, it is bad. The disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. Ew. I mean, gross. Anyone watch Jimmy Fallon? Ew. Sorry. I'm going to get fired. Um... So this isn't about hygiene. This isn't about the uh, disciples not uh, properly keeping themselves from getting sick or anything like that. This, this is about the tradition of the elders. We see as we go through this, um, they had many such traditions. Um, so I want you guys to realize the Jews lived their lives by two standards. The first was called the written law. It's the written law of Moses. Um, that's also known as the Torah. It's the first five books of our Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they considered these to be the words of God like we do. So, so they lived by that standard. But they also had a second standard that they tried to live by. And that was called the oral tradition. And the oral tradition kind of functioned as a sort of fence around the Torah. Um, so that if, if you don't break the oral tradition, you won't even get anywhere close to breaking the Torah, right? So there are these man-made rules around the Torah that that 
their, their purpose was to keep people very, very, very far from breaking the law of God. So especially the Pharisees made it a really big deal uh, to follow these, these traditions. And uh, you see that the tradition c- includes all kinds of ceremonial washings and cleansings. Uh, you get a glimpse of these where it talks about they have to wash their hands, their cups, their pots, their copper vessels, their dining couches. Um, there's, there's all sorts of cleansings and washings uh, that you see here. And the disciples weren't doing anything to break the written law of Moses, but they had broken the tradition of the elders. So we're going to see what Jesus thinks about that in a, in a little bit. But for now, uh, point number one is just that the worship of the Pharisees is based on traditions of men. Point number two is that the worship of the Pharisees is externally focused. The worship of the Pharisees is externally focused. Pharisees are concerning themselves with physical things. In this first section, again, these traditions are about cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, and hands, and washing. It's, it's all about external things. Um, if you move on down to the verse 9 through 13, it's really confusing, this idea of Corbin. Um, just really quick, pretty much what this is, is like if you put in your will that when you die, all of your possessions will go to charity. Um, and then the tradition that the Pharisees had made um, was that once you say that, you can't go back on it. So if your parents need anything, too bad. All that I have is given to God. Um, but what was actually happening is people were giving their stuff to God once they die so that they could just hang on to it while they were alive. And they were dishonoring their father and mother. They were breaking one of the Ten Commandments because of their tradition. But the point is, this again is a very external thing. It's, it's, it's all about money, possessions, land, inheritance, you know, it's, it's all physical. And then you go to the last section with 14 through 23, and you see that the fairies are, fairies, we're not talking about fairies today, <laughs> the Pharisees, fairies. Um, in the final section, you see that the Pharisees are concerned about what you are literally putting in your mouth and eating, the physical thing that you are putting in. They are saying that something that you put into your mouth will defile you. So the worship of the Pharisees focuses on external things. It is, it is physically focused. Um, third thing that we see is that the worship of the Pharisees was an attempt at self-cleansing. Now this one is really, really big. We see throughout this passage, this idea of defiled or unclean. The, the Old Testament and the tradition of the Pharisees made a lot to do about this distinction between what is holy and what is defiled or common or unclean. Um, the Pharisees, I want, I want you guys to know, got something almost right here. They were really, really close. They... they we're on the right track. The Pharisees recognized God is holy, and we are not quite holy, right? They, they saw that God is undefiled, and they saw that we can be defiled. God is clean. We are unclean. Um, if you look at verses 21 to 22, this list of things at the end of the passage, what Jesus says, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He says that these defile a person. I'd be willing to bet everyone sitting in here is guilty of at least one of those things, right? These things defile a person. So if we are all guilty of one of those, we are all somehow defiled. And the Pharisees got really, really close to getting this. Um, They saw that we are kind of like the dirty dishes, right? They saw that we need cleansing. There is something that needs to be washed. Problem is, the Pharisees try to cleanse themselves. The Pharisees look at the defilement of the world and the uncleanness of the world, and they say, I think we can fix that. I think we can clean that up ourselves. Their worship was an attempt to make themselves undefiled. They washed their hands, their cups, their copper vessels. You get the point. They washed all of that as an attempt to make themselves holy before God so that God would look at them and not see all of their coveting, their wickedness, their envy, their slander, and their pride. That's why they were washing all of their physical things and their external things. But Jesus has a really harsh rebuke for the worship of the Pharisees. If we look at verses 6 and 7, and this is where I really want to focus today. Verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I want us to look at that phrase in the middle. In vain do they worship me. Their worship is worthless. It's wasted. Their worship was wasted worship. So, nerd time for a second. Um, the, The word for worship here in the original language is sebo or something like that. I don't know. I'd I wasn't around then when they said it, but it's something like that. But what it means, it's actually not used a lot in the New Testament. It's a really rare word. You would think worship, that's, that's in the Bible a lot, right? Well, this word for it isn't because in its original language, its focus was on performing external actions to gain favor. And that describes exactly what was wrong with the worship of the Pharisees. They were focused on performing external actions in order to gain favor with God. The worship of the Pharisees was based on traditions of men. It was externally focused. It was an attempt at self-cleansing. The problem is that all of it was in vain. The Pharisees were wasting their worship. I think it's really important for us to ask these questions about our worship. As we sit here, we, we, we stand, we sing, we sit, we listen to a message, we give. Do I worship like I do just because it's what tradition says to do? Do you come to church on Sunday mornings just because that's kind of what everyone says you're supposed to do? When I worship, am I focused on external things? Are we focused on how the music sounds or how entertaining or not entertaining the preacher is? Are we focusing on the external things? And when I worship, am I trying to gain some sort of favor with God, trying to cleanse myself 
of the uncleanness that I know I have? Are we coming to church, gathering together just because we know there's something wrong and we think maybe, maybe we can come to church and, uh, and, and look a little better in God's eyes? Jesus looks at this type of worship and he says that worship is in vain. That worship is wasted. But the good news is, the reason this is a happy message is that worship doesn't have to be wasted. Okay, there is a type of worship that pleases God. And that's where I want to show this comparing and contrasting with three points about the worship that pleases God. So one, where the, wor- the worship of the Pharisees was focused on tradition. It was, it was built out of man's tradition. The worship that pleases God is based on the Word of God. Guys, traditions are not bad, okay? Traditions are good. Um, Christmas is on its way. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just the messenger, but Christmas is on its way. And we at Redstone Church have some really awesome traditions for Christmas. One of the really cool ones, if you haven't been here for a Christmas, um, during the whole month of December, we have kids grab bells and walk through our service ringing the bells. It's just this loud racket, and they're screaming, prepare, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. And it's just the coolest little thing because they're like three and four-year-olds, and uh, they're just shaking these bells really loud, and it's just fun. It's a blast. I'm, we, we don't see in the Bible Get your kids together, give them bells, shake them in the service, yell, prepare the way of the Lord, right? That's, that's a tradition that we have. It's kind of, it's biblically based, but, but it's a tradition that we have. So traditions aren't bad. Like, that's great. Keep doing that. But traditions are not ultimate. Traditions come from men. The scripture comes from God. God's revelation comes from God himself. I want to look at the focus of Jesus' rebuke here. He says in verse 7, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In verse 8, he says, leaving the commandment of God and holding to the tradition of men. Verse 9, rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish tradition. Verse 13, making void the word of God by their tradition that they have handed down. So the problem is not that the Pharisees have traditions. The problem is that because of their traditions, they were abandoning the Word of God. Guys, I, I, I want you to know that this book right here, this is the words of God. That's what we believe. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that everything in here was breathed out by God. These, these are the words of the Almighty Creator God in our hands. This is what we need to listen to. And it's great for us to have traditions um, it, we've, we've got all kinds of things that we do in church in the southeast that, that are based on tradition. None of them should bear any weight whatsoever if they ever try and pull against the written word of God that he has revealed to us. That is so important. That's why I tell, we're talking about worship today. I tell our team that um, worship is a rhythm of revelation and response. So what, what worship is, is we hear from God through His Word about who He is, what He has revealed about Himself to us. And then we respond to that by singing, by praying, by giving, by listening. That's all a response to the revelation of God. It's a rhythm of revelation and response, and it goes back and forth. 
And there's a reason why we read Scripture throughout our service. We're not just pausing in between songs to just read Scripture because that's cool. No, it's, it's because we sing a lot of great songs, but they are only good as long as they align with the Word of God that they are taken from. The Word of God, it's the revelation of God given to us. The worship that pleases God is based on the Word of God. Second, the worship that pleases God is focused on the heart. Let's go back to the rebuke again. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now, hypocrites is a really familiar word, right? We hear it a lot either in church or we hear it from people who don't go to church saying, well, I don't go to church because church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, right? So what do we think about that word? That, that word is kind of an idea of they say one thing and do another, right? Um, which that's true, that's what it is. But I found it really interesting kind of digging into what that word actually comes from. It's, it's a theatrical word. Hypocrite just means actor. It's to play a part on a stage. And in Greek theater back then, they would actually wear masks on stage to portray whatever person that they were impersonating. So what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees in their worship um, that is externally focused, they are putting on a mask. They're interpreting or they're impersonating something. They're using their tradition as a mask to cover something up. Because then he goes on and he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He knew that the external actions of the Pharisees did not reflect an internal transformation of their hearts. And that's the kind of worship that pleases God, is worship that is focused on the heart. I think it's important here for us to examine our own hearts when we come into worship. Guys, I, I have to be honest with you. When I was studying this passage this week, this part tore me up. It was hard. Because every week I come up here and I play guitar and I sing and I get distracted and I'm thinking about other things. I'm singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, but I'm thinking G, C, D, ah, E minor. Uh, verse, bridge, verse, chorus, where are we going now? What is Madeline doing over there? Is Shane angry? He's hitting that box so hard. It's, it's just ridiculous. But that, that's my, my mind. I'm always trying to turn it back and trying to focus and say, why are we here? We're not here for the sake of the music, right? We're not here so that we sound perfect. We are here to turn our hearts toward the Lord, right? And that's hard. I know that you guys, I've not been up here much in the last month, and I've been out sitting there with you guys and singing, and the same struggle is true out there. The same thing. We are focused so often on the physical and the external. But the worship that pleases God comes from the heart. I really, I, ooh, I pray that we would not be like the Pharisees, hypocrites, just actors on a stage up here playing, acting like we're actually in love with God. 
I want us to be a church whose hearts are drawing near to God. And when we sing, praise the Lord, His mercy is more. It's because our hearts are just so full, recognizing the incredible mercy of God towards us. The worship that pleases God comes from hearts that are transformed from Him. It's focused on the heart. And then third, the worship that pleases God is dependence on Him. Unlike the Pharisees, whose worship was an attempt at self-cleansing, the worship that pleases God is dependence on Him. Let's look again at this list in verses 21 to 22 that Jesus gives. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. I want to ask you guys, how can we worship God with our hearts when our hearts produce all those things? How can we do what I was just talking about, our hearts being full and worshiping when our hearts produce wickedness, our hearts produce slander, our hearts produce foolishness, our hearts produce worship? How's that work? How can we honor Him with our hearts when they're so defiled? How can we approach a God who is holy when we are so unholy? I want to turn, if you have your Bibles or your cell phones or however you want to do it, um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's, this one gets me giddy. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. How can, we, how can the defiled heart draw near to a holy God? Starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That looks a lot like that first passage, right? In Mark chapter 7. But then he says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Guys, we can't cleanse our hearts. We can't approach a holy God. But if you are a child of God, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been made holy by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, we were far from Him and we could not come to Him, but He has made a way for us to come to Him. We can draw near to Him with confidence because though our sins were like scarlet, you have been washed as white as snow. That is good news, guys. That is such good news. The worship that God wants from you doesn't start with your actions that you perform. It starts with a heart that was transformed, not by you, 
A heart that was transformed by God, by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what a transformed heart looks like. A transformed heart looks like we know who God is. God is holy. God is perfect. God is just. We know who we are. We are unholy. We are defiled. We are like the dirty dishes that just keep on coming back no matter how much we try to wash them. We think we've got everything clean and then dinner happens and it's just defiled again. It's unclean again. We know who God is. We know who we are. And the transformed heart knows that the only hope that we have of our heart not being far from God is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us. There's a really cool parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. Um, it's a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector who both go to a temple to worship. They both go at the same time, and the Pharisee stands there, and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like these extortioners, the unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I'm not like them. It's great. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then the tax collector stands far off. He won't even lift up his eyes. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus tells us that the Pharisees' worship was wasted. The Pharisee stands there and says, I give tithes, I fast, I come every Sunday, sing songs loud at the top of my lungs, this is great. His worship was wasted, it was self-justifying, but the tax collector's worship was from a transformed heart that knew who he was and knew who God was. The worship that God wants from you doesn't start with the actions you perform, but with a heart that is transformed. So, knowing all of that, what do we do now? We're action-minded people, right? And I say all the time, like, like worship is the things that we do. Like, not necessarily, we, singing is worship, yeah, but also as we go out and we share the gospel with people, it's worship. As we work unto the Lord, it's worship. That's very action-minded, Right? So what do we do if, if, if we're supposed to focus internally? Well, the point is that worship doesn't start with actions. Um, worship starts with the heart. But remember what I said at the start. If your heart is drawing near to God, every action that follows will be true worship. If you're relying on your actions to draw you near to God, your heart will waste its worship. But if your heart is drawing near to God, then every action that follows is worship. Guys, we can't follow the Pharisees with our external actions performed to gain favor with God. Worship will just be like washing dishes. We'll come back to them, stick them in the dishwasher, eat from them. They'll be dirty again. So what would I like to see as Redstone's worship director from us? What, do, what effect do I want this passage to have on us? I want us to gather together knowing that our only hope, the only reason we can stand and sing and worship to the Lord, our only hope is because we were washed. We were unholy. We were far from God. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified 
And when I sing up here on stage, and when you sing in the congregation, I want us to know that it's not a matter of how good we sound, how well the band plays all of the stuff they're supposed to play, um, but it's a matter of our hearts. It's a matter of our hearts longing for God. So whenever you come here or when you go to community group during the week or everything that you do throughout your life, prepare your hearts for worship. Remember the gospel because the gospel is what transforms our hearts. That's why we, uh, every week we come back to this table here. Because this table allows us to remember the gospel. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. That's the gospel. We were far from God, so he sent his son so that everyone who believed in him after he died could have eternal life. And then he took wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for your sake. This is the blood that for the sake of us who were unholy, who were far from Him, who were unclean and could not wash ourselves, this is the blood poured out over us to cleanse us of all our sin. That's the gospel, guys. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot stand and worship Him from our hearts. But if our hearts are transformed by the perfect blood of Jesus, we can worship in a way that pleases God. If you are new to Redstone Church, um, we do this every week, and we do it in a little bit different way. You'll see little pockets of people everywhere um, taking communion together. Um, so we would invite you to join one of those pockets or take it together with your family. Um, there's going to be men in all different corners of the room um, that you can go and get a, a cracker or, um, or the juice from and the juice. And... Um, I just want us as we take this to remember the gospel and prepare our hearts to continue worshiping as we continue to sing to him, we continue to pray to him, we do this out of a heart of transformed worship. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good to us. Lord, when we were far from you, when we were unclean, and we tried to wash ourselves over and over again, and yet there was always something else to wash. Lord, you came, and in your death you washed us white as snow. And there is nothing that can come back, nothing that can come back and defile us again because you hold us in your hand. Lord, we thank you for your blood, and we thank you for the gospel, and we pray that it would transform our hearts and let our worship be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So you all can stand and go ahead and take communion um, whenever you feel fit. Also in the back, uh, if, if you need to pray with someone, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, 
um, Jerry and Carly are in the back and they would love to pray with you.